1: Well, welcome back. As the man said, you can call in two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. And I just wanted to take a couple of minutes here to thank everybody that came out on Thursday. Wow, that was a uh, it was a big crowd, and uh, it was a lot of fun. We had uh, I think I had more fun in that seminar than I have in months. So uh, that was pretty nice. And uh, again, just thanks for coming out. If you have a question, if you wanted to see a copy of the material that we were talking about, uh, during the, the seminar, feel free to uh, email me and anybody that's out there listening. You hear something on the show and you'd like to see a copy of it, or you'd like to be put on our, our mailing list. Uh, I work with a couple different professional marketing firms and they go out and screen stories for me. And then I get to pick which ones I want to see you to see. And uh, then I get to, they actually write a little letter. I get to edit that letter. Um, it's uh interesting how uh people in the same industry actually have some differing opinions uh but not not that often actually. But I do go through and I, and I edit the letter before I send it out. And uh there's a lot of good stuff on there. I mean it it's amazing. I have had, I'm so thankful that we have this kind of technology. I I do all this stuff on the internet. I mean it it's all done online. And it blows my mind. It just blows my mind. And and I also wanted to thank there was a someone that came to the seminar. I didn't get permission to use his name, so I just, you know, you're anonymous. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, you talked about the BlackRock. BlackRock had put out a letter, and so this guy must really watch closely because I, it was like within a day or two of that letter that he was talking about it. And uh, BlackRock is the largest asset manager on the planet or at least in the United States. And uh, they're bigger than Fidelity, and they're bigger than Vanguard. And Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, had put out a letter to CEOs, and he put out a letter to the people that invest through BlackRock, and I use a lot of their product. And uh, they're, they've are they gotten that big for a reason. Their guys, Those guys are really good. And it's really interesting. Um, so I, I thought I would just, instead of uh, boring you to death, talking about it. I thought I would just read some of the sections on it because I, I, this is really, a, it's kind of a big deal. And uh, again, thanks for the person that uh, brought this up. I would have seen it anyway, but the uh, it, that guy's following BlackRock closer than I am. That is hilarious. Um Incidentally, I get a lot of really good ideas from clients. So that's one of the reasons I try to call everybody back as quickly as I can. I, I can't tell you over the years how many times I've gotten a good investment idea from somebody inquiring about it. You know, I'm like, Sweet, <laughs> and uh, if I can just, you know, the next summer I'm going to go through that price to sales ratio thing once again. I'll have a little worksheet for you because if I can get you to identify companies who have good looking financial statements, that's really going to cut my work in half. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, this is from Larry Fink. Then this was the letter that he sent to CEOs. Now think about this for a second. The firm manages around six trillion dollars. One of the biggest, uh, by the way, a trillion is a thousand billion. And a billion is a thousand million. (laughs) So there are six trillion dollars in assets. That's 60,000 billions of dollars. Billions. I think it's 600,000 millions. That is a, uh, I hope my math is right, but uh, if it's not, you get the point, right? This guy's incredibly influential. And I started thinking about this after the uh, seminar, like right? that guy, Larry Finca, you know, he's the head of that com- company and he's probably as powerful as the Fed, <laughs> which is actually the most powerful uh, organization on the planet, arguably. Uh, Not from a military standpoint, but from an economic standpoint. And anyway, so this is what he said. He said, dear CEO. Now, the CEOs of all these big companies out here, all the ones you recognize, they know that his firm owns a boatload of shares. in, In fact, in most companies, they own enough shares to have a seat on the board, the board of directors. So they can be very influential. That's why it's important to kind of pay attention to this stuff. Anyway, he writes, Dear CEO, as an asset manager, BlackRock invests on behalf of others. And I'm writing to you as an advisor and a fiduciary to these clients. The money we manage is not our own. It belongs to people in dozens of countries trying to finance long-term goals like retirement. And we have a deep responsibility to these institutions and individuals We're shareholders in your company and thousands of others to promote long-term value. Climate change has become a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects. Last September, when millions of people took to the streets to demand action on climate change, many of them emphasized the significant and lasting impact that it will have on economic growth and prosperity, a risk that markets to date have been slower to reflect. But awareness is rapidly changing, and I believe we are on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance. Very interesting. The evidence of, on climate risk is compelling investors to reassess core assumptions about modern finance. Research from a wide range of organizations, including the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the BlackRock Investment Institute, and many others, including new studies from McKinsey on the socioeconomic implications of physical climate risk, is deepening our understanding of how climate risk will impact both our physical world and the global system that finances economic growth. Would you like me to, uh, to um, reinterpret that in English? <laughs> Basically, what he's saying is the climate is changing, there's no doubt about it, and the flooding that could happen, the droughts that could happen, those shifting patterns, the fact that uh, actually in the McKinsey report that he referred to, they were talking about how some people, the temperatures could get to a point where you would not be able to work more than four or five hours without dying because of the heat. Now that's going to change a lot of things, don't you think? So, uh, how's that going to affect businesses? Well, if you're selling equipment that can't be purchased or, or is no longer, uh, viable for that, and you might be, uh, yeah, you might be on the out. On the other hand, those companies, and this is what he's he's encouraging CEOs to do, he's encouraging them to invest in going green. So it doesn't mean that nobody's going to use carbon-based fuels. It it, it means that they've they better start looking for other ways, other mechanisms, other things to do to be able to replace a lot of that income. And the uh, uh a lot of areas in rural in the world that are extremely productive now may not be in the future. And so anyway, let's go on a little bit, uh, a little bit further. He says, "Will cities, for example, be able to afford their infrastructure needs as climate risk reshapes the market for municipal bonds. I mean, think about that. If you're in New York city and suddenly you're under a foot of water or the, the water starts creeping up and you guys decide to start, you know, building the infrastructure needed to handle rising, uh, tides or just rising water levels. I mean, imagine how much, how expensive that would be to be able to put New York city on stilts. <laughs> Cause that's essentially what you're talking about doing. They might not be able to, you know, the, the city may not be able to pay that back. They may have so much in, in cost and expenses that the income tax that they're generating may not be able to pay that back. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying. Like, this is an alarm bell. Get ready. You know, we need to, we need to start tooling up, start getting prepared. And I think that the, this is actually probably one of the better opportunities. You know, people look at things like change as if change is necessarily a bad thing. And change isn't a bad thing. It's not. You know, I get it. When you get older, it gets harder to, to want to change. Well, unfortunately, um, you know, time, old father time, he doesn't care uh and by the way father time bats a thousand we all come sooner or later <laughs> and uh and i'm telling you the change could be really good things a lot of the changes that are going on right now a lot of the companies that are growing really fast right now the money that's being invested right now the opportunities that this is going to uh present now people are going that's not an opportunity. You know, you're talking about costing lots of money. Well, guess where that money is going to go? It's going to go to companies who are fixing those you know, buildings, building the, the barriers that are creating the new technologies that will get us off of the carbon fuel or at least reduce the demand so that uh, we can try to address climate change. And there's opportunity there. There's huge opportunity. This is probably the biggest, one of the biggest opportunities the entire world has ever seen. Think about that for a second. Anyway, so uh, will cities be able to afford their infrastructure needs and climate risk reshapes the market for municipal bonds? What will happen to the 30-year mortgage? This is interesting. A key building block of finance. If lenders can't estimate the impact of climate risk over such a long timeline, remember, 30, 30 years is a long time, what he's saying here is banks that make 30-year mortgages, they may not be willing to do that because they don't know what is going to happen 30 years from now. And since, and, uh, let me go on, on a little bit further. If the lenders can't estimate the impact of climate risk over such a long time, and, and if there's no viable market for flood or fire insurance in impacted areas, that was actually part of a question. What happens if that happens? Remember when the hurricane came through Florida? Uh, actually, the, uh, what was it? Three hurricanes, three category five, three years in a row. That had never happened before, at least not since we'd been recording the weather. So that was the first time. You know how they always say there's a first time for everything? You should see what the flood insurance is like in Florida, the cost of insuring that. And that's what they're talking about. You know, if you wipe out enough, uh, buildings and houses, and the people that got their houses wiped out can't afford to pay it, and they end up having to file for bankruptcy. What does that do to the banking system? That's what they're talking about. And if the thirty-year mortgage disappears now, what? You know, and uh, that would be, yeah, that's a big that's a big risk. So we're not there yet, you know. But identifying these things and planning for it. I think is, is the smart thing to do. And that's what these guys are doing. So here, anyway, investors are increasingly reckoning with these questions and recognizing that climate risk is investment risk. Climate risk is investment risk. I get it. Now, how do you build a car if your, if your factory is two foot underwater? <laughs> yeah, man, That's pretty tough, right? Yeah. The, the nice, uh, thing about all this is, by the way, there, is, there are solutions to all these problems. And we're, out, we're already working on them. Anyway, I'll just finish this up for you. So investors are, are increasingly reckoning with these questions and recognizing that climate risk is investment risk. Indeed, climate change is almost invariable. The top issue that clients around the world raise with BlackRock. I'll think about this for a second. This is why capitalism works. This is how capitalism works you go to the largest asset manager on the planet and you say hey we need some help why do we need help because our companies may not survive if we don't adapt and since you guys own a whole ton of our stock we want to know what kind of ideas you have and those guys they're interdependent upon one another now, if these companies go under and BlackRock owns a bunch of shares on behalf of their shareholders, well, the, the management fees that BlackRock has go down. People start to get jaded. They'll start to pull their money out of them, some of those funds so the, their fees go down even further. And so helping the people that they're investing with, even though I would uh, like to believe that it's, it's largely because the management of that firm is actually truly concerned. And I'm I'm sure that's true. I'm absolutely sure. But more than that, it's a smart thing to do financially. Think about that. It's a smart thing to do financially. Instead of uh, buying back the company's shares, we're going to invest in businesses that make sure this business is still going to be here 10, 10 years from now. <laughs> think about that for a second. That's awesome. That's a wonderful thing. So I think the... uh um Anyway, that that's... Almost all. No, I take it back. That letter is actually pretty long. If you want to see a copy of what I'm t- talking about, you can email me. Go to my website. It's uh, bullingtoncapital.com. I will d- definitely flash back a, or send back an email that's got the links to these letters because there's a uh, uh, a lot more to it. In fact, if I can, I don't know how many more minutes I have before commercial break. You know, I got about one. Okay, I'm going to try to go through this really fast. We believe that all investors, along with regulators, insurers, and the public need a clear picture of how companies are managing sustainability-related questions. This data should show, uh, I'm sorry, this data should extend beyond climate to questions around how each company serves its full set of stakeholders, such as the diversity of its workforce, s- sustainability of its supply chain, or how well it protects its customers' data. So they're actually they're getting into a lot of other things as well. Each company's prospects for growth are inextricable from its ability to operate sustainably and serve its full set of stakeholders. The importance of serving stakeholders and embracing purpose has become increasingly central to the way that companies understand their role in society. As I've written in the past letters, a company cannot achieve long-term profits without embracing purpose and considering the needs of a broad range of stakeholders. A pharmaceutical company that hikes prices ruthlessly a mining company that shortchanges safety, a bank that fails to respect its clients. These companies may maximize returns in the short run. But as we have seen again and again, these actions that damage society will catch up with the company and destroy shareholder value. How awesome is that, that the world's largest asset managers are saying, hey, you better walk a straight line. And by the way, those guys have enough votes on a whole lot of boards to remove the management and replace them with people who will take that into account. Anyway, you're listening to Bill Bullingham right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I'll be right back at these messages.
0: Head full of questions. How can you measure up to deserve affection, to ever be?
1: And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can also find a copy of this show on the Fish's website, 955thefish.com through their podcast. And you can go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com. I have a little link to, uh, the radio program that you can get to there as well. Uh, so if you hear something that you like, or you could just give me a call, uh, in the office or send me a text, uh, or in, uh, I'm sorry, not send a text, but uh, just send me an email. It's uh, bullingtoncapital.com dot I haven't put the next seminar up yet. Uh, that'll be happening probably Tuesday. So if you're looking to come in and uh, kind of get a better idea of who we are, what we do uh, feel free. We do offer a free get acquainted meeting where we come in, uh, you sit down, we talk you know, face to face, try to find out what's most important to you. Uh, how would you like to invest? I think this is a, a really interesting Tact that BlackRock is taking, and they uh, they've got a whole bunch of other material on this. I just think it's a good idea. Um, I think it makes sense from an economic standpoint. You know, if you're looking for out for the long term for your company, you want to prepare for a lot of the issues that they're talking about. It's just being prepared, and these guys are going to support that. Now, there's something that's really important to point out here. I think that some of the uh, people uh, there were more than there was more than one person that had actually talked about this to me after the the uh, seminar on Thursday, and I think they were under the impression that all the companies were going to not be invested in, or they, BlackRock was going to pull their money out of all the companies that don't meet certain requirements. That's only true for their actively managed funds. And the vast majority of BlackRock's funds are indexed funds, which don't have those requirements. They have index funds that are socially responsible, and they're going to promote those. They're actively managed funds where the, the fund managers actually talk to the people that are running the, these companies and make decisions that are not completely based on a computerized model. Those are going to be going away from the companies who aren't abiding by. But it's not going to change the uh, S&P 500 funds. It's not going to change the uh, Russell funds using the indexes. They're just making this available in addition to that. So just what you need, right? Another uh another choice choices. I think I don't know how many thousands of funds there are out there. <laughs> but this is, let's just add a whole bunch more to the mix. I'm just kidding, but I think it's a really good idea. I think it's a phenomenal idea, um, and and this is how capitalism is supposed to work. A lot of the things that that he's doing uh, are things that the the government would really love to be able to do. A lot of them would, but and a lot of them don't. So with capitalism, you have a an ability for companies to interact with and uh, make adjustments or help the other companies make adjustments to be longer term and to be more sustainable. I mean, how many times have we seen a, a company that, that ignored a whole lot of the risks and then ended up paying for it in the long run, and then the shareholders end up paying for it because they didn't take the appropriate actions they needed to to stay safe enough to stay around. You know how tragic that is when it, when a company goes belly up because they didn't take precautions and they get sued out of business, that, that, you know, it ruins lives. It totally ruins lives. So, um, And this is how this is supposed to work. And it's very encouraging for me to say, hey, you know what? I like solar. I like the fact that GM is building a battery plant in Youngstown that's going to cost $2 billion that they're going to spend in Ohio. I like that. Okay. That's a good thing. Change is not a bad thing. This this type of change is a good and it and it's necessary. And it would be really hard to do that in other areas of the world that have, especially a lot of the, the larger populations. Um, actually, you no, know, now that I think about it, it, China has the ability to move very quickly because it's a dictatorship, you know. But I am not promoting a dictatorship. <laughs> at all. But the uh uh anyway, that's what I like about f- the free markets and competition. You know, e- somebody to get to the top of one of those really big companies. You've got to be really smart. I mean really smart. And you have to be a little lucky. There's some luck involved. Uh but it it's just so refreshing to see that people at really high levels are taking this seriously. I remember Cummins Engine, I don't know whatever happened to these vehicles, but they, they had uh hooked up with some other companies and were making some um vans for FedEx and probably now Amazon, yeah, that actually had these braking systems that recharged batteries. So they were like partly um run on batteries, which I think is, you know, it was a hybrid. That's cool. It increased the gas mileage by 20%. You know how many of those trucks there are on the road? Uh, incidentally, that's where a lot of this stuff, you know, everybody talks about the, the cars. Well, the cars do use an awful lot of gas, but it's not the only use and industrial uses for gasoline, oil, petroleum based products are, are significantly greater when you add them all up and uh, compare it to the automotive, you know, the automobiles because you, you got jets, you have Diesel trucks, you got trains, the, uh, all that stuff. Cars are a big part of it. That's a, that's a huge part. And it's the part that everybody sees because when you're out on the road, all you see are cars. (laughs) You don't see all the planes or the trains or the trucks or the diesel engines or the back end loaders and all, all that kind of stuff. But you add it all together. It's actually bigger than the automobile market is. So there's a, uh, it is just fascinating to me. I am just fascinated every, every day. I love my job because I get to read about this kind of stuff. And to me, it's interesting. I like to see how things are progressing. You've know, you heard me talking about 5G for a long time. You heard me talking about uh, cell phones at one point in time. If you remember back to 1996 when I first started this show, (laughs) it's hard to believe that it's been that long. 1996. And at that time, I was talking about these newfangled, Cell phones where you were actually going to be able to watch video on your and they didn't have they weren't called called smartphones yet because they didn't exist. And uh, but they were coming. And for the last couple of years you've been hearing me talk about 5G. And before that you heard me talking about the electric cars. And that's not because I'm a genius it's because I read a lot. <laughs> Those things were just starting when I talked about it. So they weren't all that well known. Uh, A lot of companies came and gone, uh, have come and gone, uh, which is normal. That's one of the reasons you want to diversify when you're investing. And uh, and you're, these guys are bringing up really good points about, about investing, you know, for investors. Why do you want to prepare for a greener future? Because it's the smart thing to do financially. Now see, this is where you get them. This is where you sell everybody. (laughs) Everybody jumps on board. You know, you talk to Trump about his hotel in New York City that may be underwater. He's going to change his tune <laughs> immediately. Now, I don't know what his tune is on that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that, but, uh, I know he's, he's got to be concerned about it. Hey, Trump, man, you own a bunch of property. What's going to happen when it's two feet underwater? You know? And, uh, or what's going to happen when the, the guys that are cutting your grass have heat stroke and die and uh, it's on your property? <laughs> So there's a uh, there's going to be a lot done, and it's being done, and, and it's just so refreshing. And, and by the way, you know, you hear a lot of negative stuff in the news. It outweighs the positive stuff. Uh, and being human, where we have a tendency to lean more towards or pay more attention to negative news, there is an unbelievable amount of positive stuff going on. I mean, it's it's ten times greater than the negative stuff. But the negative stuff is the stuff that gets all the headlines. And I'm just here to tell you, it's not that bad. It's good. We have all the technology we need today if we could get it implemented to be able to solve every world problem we have. And that hasn't changed. You've heard me say that for 20 years now. By the way, what year is it again? 2020? I started in 1996. Think about that for a second. Man, that scares me. I can't I just can't believe I've been around that long. <laughs> I never thought I'd live this long, by the way. But the uh anyway. I'm only fifty-six, fifty-seven in another week. And uh but boy is that time just flown by. And uh, and again, I'm just I'm I'm amazed and I'm a more confident today than I have been in the future. Here's the thing I feel uh that that makes me feel a little uneasy, not for me, but for the public. You've got Interest rates that are under two percent okay it's really hard to live on two percent and a two percent interest rate on a, on a million dollars is only twenty thousand dollars a year okay that's a that's hard those are typically your higher guaranteed rates from governments government backed bond securities The ten year treasury I think is one fifty or one point five or one point six that is a, uh, boy, is that tough. So now you're talking about a million dollars and only generating $16,000 a year? Yeah. So that's hard. The good news is stocks are not undervalued. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's bad news. Actually, good news is stocks are not overvalued, uh, at least by not a lot. They're right around the area within 10 or 15% or so of where they should be. The fact that BlackRock is mobilizing the fact that an investment manager is going into companies and saying, Hey, you know what? We own a ton of your shares. We're your shareholders and we need you to step up, start spending money to make sure that your business is going to be here in the future because our clients and our future depends on it. By the way, so does yours. <laughs> There's actually, it's it's mind boggling that this is working as well as it is. It just, uh, I, you know, I just didn't think that it would ever, ever get to this point. And it is. And I just feel so much better about it that somebody with that kind of power is sitting there and doing it, is, is taking on that tact. So I think it's a, uh, it's a really good thing. Lots of positive developments. By the way, the, in, in addition to the battery plant in Youngstown, there's a, uh, another, uh, I think it's actually another GM project. They're thinking about elect, uh, manufacturing electric vehicles, the self-driving ones, right, in Youngstown. And you've got the Youngstown Motors Company. Boy, I don't know if you've been around Youngstown anytime real soon. I went out, to, uh, uh, Blaster Chemical Corp. Um, Jack Porter, he's the grandson of the guy that really built, uh, Blaster Chemical up. He's an uh, all-state running back of Chagrin Falls, the, the Bombers this year, when I watched his game, watched him playing, and uh, I just lost my whole train of thought there. <laughs> oh, yeah, but uh, it, yeah, the, the game was in Youngstown. One of the games was in Youngstown, and I hadn't been out there in years. So I drove out there, and uh, I have to tell you, that real estate market is going to go up a lot. <laughs> That's not a genie reading a crystal ball. When you look at all the jobs that had left that area, you know, used to be steel, GM, had all those big ones, they're reopening a lot of those plants. You know why they have an advantage? Because they've already been approved. They've already been zoned for heavy construction. And it's a lot easier to go back and reestablish something than it is to build something from scratch. That's a big edge. So good news for Ohio. Watch what happens. And, And by the way, The politicians in Ohio are probably going to take all the credit for all that additional tax revenue that gets generated because everybody there that works there is going to have to pay state taxes. (laughs) And they're going to see, see how smart we are? Nope, sorry, luck of the draw. (laughs) There's always an element of luck involved. But boy, is that a good thing. I mean, Ohio's just been so hit so hard for so long, and now looks like it's coming back. Uh, it, it, what cracks me up, it's like an old suit. If you had an old suit like 30, 40 years ago or 50 or 60 years ago, all of a sudden it's back in vogue, like the Laurel and Hardy suits. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, kind of, actually. but uh, Anyway, so it's good news. You've got You know, the Ohio economy is going to be coming back around. Uh, Ohio's got a lot of good stuff in it being right here by the lake. That, that's an awesome. When you look at the cost of real estate here versus the cost in other cities, I travel when I go to there. Uh, I don't bother looking at realtor.com. I do sometimes, but, uh, you know, I like to pick up the local paper when I'm there just for the heck of it. It's uh, fun to read in airports. I look at the real estate sections. And I'm telling you, real estate in Ohio is still relatively inexpensive. And if you shop hard enough, you can find some really good deals here. And you go into an area like that where you've got the, uh, you know, a lot of older stuff that's been around, uh, in for a long time and people don't, you know, a lot of people would rather pay a premium for something that's brand new. Heck, I would go in and uh, buy and like to fix stuff up. It's one of my favorite shows is the fixer uppers. Yeah. My dad being a uh, carpenter. Um, by the way, you know what that makes me—the son of a carpenter. You know who else was the son of a carpenter? Much better person than I am. <laughs> so anyway, the uh, uh, it's, it's interesting. I just like seeing all the the really positive stuff here. The fact that businesses are trying to work together with governments, uh, and businesses are trying to affect other businesses, and it benefits everybody. That That's actually how this was supposed to work. I can't imagine the father, the founding fathers being totally upset by a lot of the activity that's been going on lately. I hear the music. That means I have to take a real quick commercial break. If you'd like to t- call in or ask a question, 216 901 I'll be back right after these commercial messages. I start
0: to wonder just how long I've been asleep It's time, time to rise, wake from all this slumber.
1: All right. Hey, you're listening to the Bullington Capital Report here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can find this on the Fish's uh, website as a podcast. You can also go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, and it is carried there as a um, podcast as well. And it's done from uh, iHeartRadio, so there's a little tab there. If you heard something, you want to go back and re-listen to it, you know, feel free would like to call us today, 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. And I would like to talk just a couple seconds. Uh, I started a website, and I turned it over to an intern of mine. His name is, uh, my mind is going uh, blank. I mean, Michael Seager. <laughs> yeah, so he's been running it, and he's been doing a very good job. I know a lot of people like to uh, um, do this sort of thing. It was actually... It's a money management method that I use. I copied it, actually, from some big portfolio managers from years and years and years ago. And now this same strategy is actually being employed by some exchange-traded funds. They have a big edge over the rest of us because they get to convert a lot of long-term capital gains into short-term capital gains. I'm sorry. It's the opposite. Short-term capital gains into long-term capital gains and the amount of effort and labor that it takes to do this yourself, I'm not sure that it makes sense to keep doing this anymore and I only do it because it's fun. So that's but you know, I played football too. For 13 years I played. And um so my idea of fun may not be the same as yours. <laughs> but that being said, you know, it's called look out for the bull and uh, a lot of the you know, he publishes the list every day on Friday. Uh, you see the market was down quite a bit, and people were very concerned over the, they, they've been extremely concerned ever since the market hit new highs. They all, Everybody's afraid for the next big downturn, and like, this is it. This is going to be the big one. Nah. <laughs> it won't. The uh, There aren't enough things going wrong yet to, to make a huge correction. And markets just correct. And whatever the reason is. They correct. And if you could actually forecast that accurately one time, if you could, if you could pin one 5% drop one time, I could show you how to get enormously rich. That should tell you how difficult that is. And I'm only talking about a 5% move in the S and P, which it does four or five times a year. So, if you could get that right, but see, here's the thing. You got to do what everybody's trying to do that I hear them talking about. When I walk past, by the way, it's pretty funny at a a seminar or I'm out somewhere where people know me. When I'm walking past and they're talking about where they think the stock market's going to go over the next few months, they get really quiet. (laughs) If they know me, (laughs) because they know I'm about to tell them how they can't, and and I'm going to say, I'm going to give them the same. Uh, spiel like give everybody listen I got ten thousand dollars that says you can't do that if you try to do that and you succeed i'm gonna give you the ten thousand dollars if you don't you're gonna owe me ten thousand now how sure are you okay and by the way, if there anybody ever does take me up on that the uh yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna do the technique because it's very inexpensive you don't have to actually use a lot of money it's like buying a lottery ticket basically so if if I ever do lose that bet, believe me, I will have purchased the lottery ticket, and I will make ten, fifteen, twenty times the amount that I paid you. So that that'll be awesome. Uh, anyway, I'll uh, I'll stop talking about that now. The uh, I, I will talk a little bit about the uh, lookout for the bull website. That's the one that uh, I put together. And I have to apologize. I was going to write a letter this week and I just got so busy, uh, that, uh, I will get a letter out there. But markets are right around where they should be. And see, this is, this is the perfect scenario for somebody like me and for most people. So I, I you know, I know you can't make it. You can't get by on a 2% CD. There are a lot of funds, exchange traded funds that have 2% dividends. The dividends, by the way, for most of these funds are taxed at a lower rate than, than CD rates are taxed at. And over time, the dividends have a tendency to go up. Now we're not allowed to guarantee that. we're actually not allowed to guarantee anything. But there are lots of funds out there now that are much better than funds of old. They've improved. got more data. Uh, you can do more stuff. You know they, they add other criteria, and I think the next radio program is going to the next radio program and my next seminar is going to be like the criteria that matters. You know what really matters? Does the coronavirus matter? Probably not. No, no. yeah. Did the uh, uh, tariffs really matter a lot? I don't know. The market shook it off and went to an all-time new high. What do you think? What did it do? You're all saying it was going to crash. It didn't. Uh, and uh, actually, every crash that's ever occurred during my lifetime, the market's recovered from. And by the way, it's recovered from every. Cr- it's recovered from every crash that's existed since they started trading stocks out there on wall street you know, when they only did it for a couple hours a day so and there's a reason for that there's a reason for that we talked about that a little bit at the seminar and i'll probably talk about it from now on you know the way that our economy is set up it's a self-healing process it's a beautiful thing and i'm just amazed that it was Invented or dreamed up before anybody had a computer. <laughs> it just shows how smart people are. You know, people were very intelligent back then. They just didn't have the luxury of a couple hundred years of writing and printing and saving the, and sharing the data. You know, every time one uh, country overran another country, they burned all their books. <laughs> Kept setting us back. You know, who knows how long that. <laughs> what they might have known that got destroyed somewhere by the you know by the tell of the hunt. <laughs> uh so uh, anyway, I'm really happy to be alive now to see a lot of the things that are going on. I remember back in nineteen I think it was nineteen ninety five, uh, and it was about a year before I started doing my radio program. Um sitting with a group of people, uh actually it was a uh, um I think it was I can't remember. It was Civitan or one of those groups. And it was a local group. I, I was in there. Uh, I was a member. And they were asking uh, me what I thought about the economy because they knew what I did for a living. And I was talking about it. And I was talking about all the developments that were going on. And people were literally upset with me for being optimistic. They were upset because I was optimistic. Can you imagine that? The S&P 500, by the way, was around 600. Actually, it was a little bit lower than that. 600. You know where it is today? 3,225. You know what? I was not nearly optimistic enough. (laughs) And people at that meeting, they were literally disgusted. They were so mad. (laughs) And they blamed it on me being young. You just don't know any better. No, actually, I just study history. That's it, economic history. I don't know anything about, well, very little about political history or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But economic history, just, it's just always been kind of fascinating. And what's really fascinating and is the, and here's what you do. If you don't really want to go to college, a lot of schools are going to be really upset with me over saying this. Here's what you do. Sign up for business school, take accounting one, two, um, first two classes in accounting, take the first, you know, probably first three. And then study real hard on that. Uh, take statistics one and two. Take money, credit, and banking. Quit college and start a business. <laughs> if you want to be really successful, that's what I would do. That uh, you would uh, you'll learn everything you'll need to know. You'll you'll know why the economy works if you get a good econ professor and explains the money, credit, and banking thing very well. That's a uh, that's awesome, you know. And, and it's there. We're not. By the way, we're not the ones that invented it. We're the ones that have made the best use of it so far. That may change at some point in time. Maybe another country overtakes us. Right now, we're only five percent of the world's population and twenty percent of the world's uh output. No, there is. I get. Everybody keeps talking about one world currency. I'm like, uh, have you been paying attention? <laughs> there is one world currency. It's called the dollar. You might have heard of that. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I know all the academics are getting, they get upset every time I say stuff like that it's an oversimplification but the reality is you know, the dollar is the strongest currency in the world will it always be that way? probably not and actually I think that's an unfair amount of pressure to put on the United States we're only 5% of the world's population let the other guys step up <laughs> it shouldn't be all us <laughs> yeah, so, and I look forward to that I think it's a great thing Especially when you look at, you know, lately, uh, the international markets, the foreign markets, they haven't done nearly as well as we have. Not nearly as well as we have. So that's a lot of pressure to put on 5% of the population. You know, so and, uh, China's actually making major strides. Uh, European Union's making some strides. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's all good. The, the natural result, by the way, of all this stuff, all the advancements, is inflation. And that's the challenge. How do you keep up with inflation with your investments? How do you do that? You've got a 2% interest rate or less than 2% and you have to pay tax on it. And the inflation rate, the, the published inflation rate is 2%. It depends on how old you are. The older you get, your inflation rate's gone up a lot higher because you're spending a lot more money on medical costs, which have gone up three to four times the average inflation rate. And that's being conservative so that's uh you know we don't hear a lot of talking about that but we'll talk a little bit more about that next week now that i hear the music my show's over uh anyway it's pleasure always thanks thank you so much for coming out to the seminar last week this is bill bullington here every saturday morning from 11 to noon uh have a good week everybody good luck and good investing from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.